Dawkins host, Eddie Bubb, and with me are my co-hosts, Matthew Dawkins. Hello! And Dixie Cochran. Hello! And that's it. That's all I got. I'm, I was on autopilot for a while, and then I just ran out of steam. It's our 250th episode, Eddie. That's, that's why I'm so tired. It's been so many episodes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's so been long. spread over like five years. That's true. That's true. Five We've been doing this years. since 2018. Uh, but yeah, God. I mean, definitely. Let's take let's take a moment to think about that. I mean, that that's. I know we've gone long on some episodes, but also we have some shorter episodes, so it's easily two hundred fifty hours, probably closer to three hundred at this point, maybe. Probably, probably closer to that, that because we have things like our Hobbit episodes, which is like three hours long and stuff like that. Right. I like. I think our shortest episodes are still only in the like fifty-five minutes ish space. So. Okay, here's a question. Let, here's a question. Let, let, we've done a few let's watches now. Yeah, if that's uh, if that's how you want to put it, and uh, so what have we done? We've done the Hobbit three for some reason. For we, some reason, <laughs> we did two Neil Breen films, although Dixie wasn't present for the first one. It's true. Uh, we watched the Killer Bees movie. <laughs> that was great. Uh, it wasn't though, uh, <laughs> and we watched what was it? The one with the the spy movie with ladies something, la- something something oh, oh and and the Hercules movie and the Hercules yeah. movie yes. Uh, so if you had to go and rewatch one of them right now, which one would you rewatch, and which one would you never watch again? Out of all of these, there's only one of them you are you will never see again. It we burn consigned to the black hole of media. Three. Done. Really. That's, that's the one that's... you would never, never ever watch again. view again. No, no. I mean, throwing a throwing a wear bear is an amazing scene, but I can watch that on YouTube and be done. <laughs> well, that's cheating. I think the one I would watch again, uh, although I forgot the name of it, was the spy lady one, lady da 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 da. Because I fun. actually wouldn't mind watching that without y'all talking over it and me talking <laughs> over it. Yeah, we like, did I am, ruin that. I am, I am interested to hear what the actual dialogue was. If only right. we could remember the title. I uh, mean, I can go back and find the episode. Nope, there's no none of our Lady podcasts Chaplin? have been recorded. Was it, was it Lady like Chaplin that? something something. Yeah, because it had a... Secret Agent Lady, Lady Chaplin? Secret, yeah, Secret Agent, agent Lady, Lady Chaplin. Chaplin. It was something yes. like that. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. The one I would never watch again. I feel like we're missing one. Possibly. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'd watch the bees one ever again. That was pretty rough. Like, I don't feel the need to watch it. Like, I could see a world in which um, every now and then me and my boyfriend decide we're going to do something ridiculous like we're doing right now. And we're watching every single movie based on a Marvel character, including all the ones that aren't like MCU canon. Oh, well, oh, like so uh, Red, Red Brown as Captain America. Well, we, we haven't gotten quite back there yet, but we've we've watched like uh, we're in the middle of all the X-Men prequely movies right now. Oh, oh um, yes. but but we're watching those and the Wolverine ones in chronological order. <laughs> oh wow! Um, so that's a whole. So we, we watched Wolverine Origins like mm. a couple weeks ago, and it was not great. Um, mm. I've heard the other two are much better though. So yay! Uh, is is that the one with uh, Sabretooth in? Yes. Yeah, so I saw that in the cinema for some reason. Oh, with uh, um, what's his name? Leave uh, Schreiber. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a very square face. He always kind of words me. Out. I thought he was a really good saber tooth. I, I honestly thought he was probably the best part of that movie. But but that that said, like I um, I'm I'm very much like eh, I don't need to see some of these again. But I can see a world in which we decide to watch like all of the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movies just for the hell of it, you know? Because yeah. every now and then we do stuff like that just 
to have like a theme to carry us through. Mm-hmm. So I could definitely see a world where we're like, well, we want to be watch Lord of the Rings, so let's just watch all the Hobbit movies first, and we can compare at how much better the Lord of the Rings movies are after we watch the Hobbit movies. So yeah, like I, I, I could see watching that again, even if it's like you know, while I'm drinking wine and making fun of it. I think you'd have to. And I could see watching Neil Breen movies again, especially if they do like a Rift Tracks live, because yeah. I love going to Rift Tracks live. Or even so, just yeah. to watch it just to show somebody else, like, hey, this movie exists. I'm not making it up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I did that with um, which Neil Breen was it? The Fateful Findings one, the one Eddie and I mm-hmm. watched uh, the other day to some poor victim. I, I exposed uh, him to to it, and what I found was you could. It was a very skippable movie. You certainly didn't need to watch it all the way through. You could just very easily jump forward five minutes. Oh, there's another stupid bit. (laughs) Jump forward five minutes. This bit's badly shot. And so on and so on. Because uh, if there's one thing we've learned through Breen, uh, it's that uh, he's very fond of repetition in in his movies. And uh, there's some elements you just don't need to see again and again and again. In Twisted Pair, it was that... uh, what was it? It was like a some sort of special forces raid on a building that he kept right. jumping and him stroking the eagle, stroking the eagle, right? Uh, just kept cutting back to that over and over again to pad it out. Uh, I don't so, know. Yeah. I, I think I think I'd watch that over Hobbit three because at least <laughs> there's always something. There's always something on the screen to go. What the fuck about? <laughs> You're that's, never bored during the opening movie. It's always like, what the hell is going on with the Hobbit? Just like I could sleep through twenty minutes of this and not miss anything meaningful. Oh, okay. So I've got the, the before we get onto the questions, which will probably take us up to over an hour at this point. Right. Um, do you remember when we watched The Hobbit three? We didn't know who that dwarf king was that arrived with, I guess, the fifth army. Yeah, in, sure. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, played by Billy Connolly. Um, well, I watched a review of whatever the second one is called. Desolation of Smog, Smaug, Smog, Smaug. Smaug. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch doing his weird reclining on a can on a piece of uh, on some gym equipment. Going, mm, yeah, no, that's, that's Martin Freeman. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, he is introduced in the extended cut and only the extended cut of Desolation of Smaug. Because when Gandalf goes to the place where where the Witch King and the other Ringwraiths are entombed, he finds the Dwarf King is already there imprisoned for some reason, and releases him. Now, apparently, because I had only seen half of the standard cut of that before turning it off in disgust, uh, he doesn't appear at all. So if you watch the third one, even in sequence, but they were just the regular versions, you mm-hmm. wouldn't have any idea, much as we didn't, who this character is, what he's supposed to be there for or represent. So, it, yeah, I, I think I would agree. I think if I had to consign one movie to the bin, even if it made the Hobbit trilogy a Hobbit duology with no conclusion... I would still get rid of the Hobbit three. 
I was just looking through our old episodes because I was trying to remember if we had watched another movie that I forgot about. Uh-huh. And episode one thirty five was just called Xmas Hobbit Bullshit <laughs> <laughs> in our like internal naming structure because <laughs> we name things internally so that we know what they are immediately, and then we give them a more flowery title for the public. That right, makes us sound like uh, Eddie probably hosted that. Episode. I, I think I, I think that sounds that sounds exactly like something I would name it. Right. <laughs> Um, uh, but, but it was, you mentioned, you mentioned that because there was this period from around like 2005 until relatively recently where there was this assumption that fans would consume not only the media, but also all of the metamedia around it. They would watch the, the YouTube shorts and they would watch the extended cuts and the cut scenes and all that. And they would oh, build well, I off think Marvel, that. Marvel still has that attitude. Well, that's actually right. I mean, but until very recently, cause, um, the Mandalorian season three, I'm not going to spoil anything about it, but. Um, there was stuff that happened in the book of Boba Fett that progressed the storyline between Mandalorian Series 2 and Season 3. Right. And Disney was so concerned that no one had watched Book of Boba Fett that they actually had put out videos explaining what happened in the meantime because people saw the beginning of Season 3 and said, what the hell happened here? Because they didn't right. watch Book of Boba <laughs> Fett. So Disney is rapidly learning, oh, that's no longer true. People are not doing that anymore. And they're scrambling to cover for that, which is interesting. So that, that seems to have either that shifted or Star Wars is no longer pop culture. It's just culture. And yeah. therefore it transcends the pop culture assumption here. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, like it, it's ludicrous to introduce a character in a cutscene and expect people to recognize it in the next film. But that is exactly the kind of watching that we have been trained to do. It's it's a f- it is a funny old thing because there is a part of me that yeah back in the early two thousands probably would have appreciated something like that I would have felt rewarded as a dedicated fan that I recognised who this person was because right. I was the sort of person who I mean especially with the Lord of the Rings extended version but a lot of the DVDs mm-hmm. I owned I would watch every single extra feature that was on those discs for some reason yep. and then mm-hmm. I would watch the movies with the commentary on. From the cast, that's one set with the directors. Another right. set. I might avoid the costumers and sound people. You know, don't don't really care for that. Uh, although, while admitting that you know the movies wouldn't be what they were without uh, without all of that, but uh, it, I think it's a shame these days that the the thing I enjoyed most was directors' commentaries. Uh, I would watch so many movies with directors' commentaries, and. Even some uh, Japanese movies in particular where the director's commentary just came up as subtitles. You never heard the director speaking. You would just get their annotations, essentially, or notations. Mm -hmm. And uh, it it seems, uh, maybe there's no money in it, but it feels to me like if you were to release a movie on Amazon Prime or Netflix or wherever, having a secondary audio track that you could just load up immediately in your audio options would would not take a great deal and would help those of us who are really interested in that sort of thing um but again i imagine there isn't enough money in it some people will just say well look you can get that kind of thing from the director's website but i don't always want to sit on my computer to watch a movie all of that in my experience has moved to podcasts uh there are a lot of companion podcasts now for shows like oh yeah uh, Peacemaker had one. I, um, I listened to a few of them too because I did that one and currently I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the Last of Us Companion one because right. they always give some super interesting insight into the episode I just watched. Yep. 
yeah. So I, th- I think that's I think that information is still out there. It's just moved to a different space. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I just have to get into the habit of light. Uh, okay, so countdown three, two, one. Because we do the same damn thing when we're doing our sort of yep. riffs on movies. Uh, for some reason, I just would feel a lot more comfortable if it was all coming out of one device. If it was all, you know, mm-hmm, if it was all mm-hmm. programmed in um, on Netflix, and all you had to do was click a button. Maybe that's the next great leap in technology. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I think there's yeah. some stuff that does that, but I have forgotten what it's all called. So I'm sure some listeners going. I, to I just, I just like how Matthew's like. We should do the great innovation of putting everything into one device, just like I don't know, releasing an episode of TV a week as opposed to all at once. Just these yeah, yeah. innovations <laughs> that never existed before. Or we could put it on a disc so that you can keep it forever. Right. That's a great idea. Why has anybody ever done that? Mm. That's so good. Although I. I will point out that I recently realized that we, of of all the devices we have in this house, right? We have multiple like gaming things and laptops and all kinds of stuff. Um, we, we both have desktops, and um, we only have one thing that will actually play DVDs, and it's my Xbox, which I don't use that often. Yeah, yeah. The, the only thing I've got is my PlayStation Four, and that's put away now. Uh, just because we don't watch DVDs or Blu-rays yeah. anymore, the Xbox actually, has not been hooked up for months. <laughs> like I actually bought a uh, DVD drive to plug into my laptop because uh, there was a show that went off streaming for a while that I wanted to watch, and I was mad about it. I forgot what show it is now, but I went and bought the DVDs and realized I had only the PlayStation to watch them in. So I actually ended up buying it so I could also so I can rip them and, and you know have digital versions of all my episodes too. Um, but it was just like, there was this weird point where DVD players were really, really, really cheap. Right. And now because no one buys them anymore, they're, they're going back up in price again. So oh, weird. Like, <laughs> I feel like I missed the window of it being super cheap. Actually, you know, in all of my, like, I've, 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 I've got some stuff in storage still. I might have a DVD player, but I don't think I do. I'm pretty sure I just have the Xbox. Because I think at some point I was like, well, I have the Xbox. I don't need a DVD player. Yeah. Right. Because like um, at one point I was actually looking at like, okay, they, they probably make super cheap DVD players with the TV sets, you know, the, the screens built in, right? And it's like, those are probably super cheap. And it was like slightly less to just buy a PlayStation. They're like mm. $300. I'm like, that's that's way too much. I'll just oh, buy some on my so. laptop. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Anyway, um, no one's asked so us about this. We're celebrating 250 episodes by taking an extra long digression. <laughs> so how about them games? How about them games? So let's dig, dig, dig into the <laughs> mailbag. Yeah, we actually do have a mailbag. We're, we're, we're 15 minutes in, but we still have quite a few questions in the mailbag from uh, yes. last week. We'll see if we get through all of them. If not, we'll have your episodes. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Good Lord. Uh, okay, so the first question is from Alan Giorla. Uh, I always mispronounce his name bad as well. Bad with names, De- let's just say it up top. Bad Dedicated Scarred Lands writer and fan of the Honest yes. Bath News. Yes. Uh, what is, in your opinion, the best way to introduce players and game masters to a setting campaign that is very dense lore, so like Scarred Lands, Vampire, etc.? Yeah. I mean, honestly, piecemeal, in my yeah. opinion. Mm-hmm. I start with what they absolutely need to know. To you know, make their characters and figure out how to buy into the world. Like if I was going to introduce somebody to Scarlands, like the the very basics of the thing. Like you know, there was recently this whole battle. There's Titans. They're dead. There's blood seas. It's 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 weird D and D essentially. And like I would just say that to my players because most of my players know D and D. 
Um, and you know, it's like it's like darker Greek mythology tinge D and D. And then as we go on, I can answer more questions. I, I've actually found this really interesting. Um, as as I mentioned before, I'm running a Pugmire game currently. Um, and I I actually needed to give my players some setting secrets to get them to buy in. Uh, mm. because I needed to let them understand that all magic was actually technology, but it was far future technology. Right. Um, because that made them more interested in it <laughs> by mm. a large margin. Okay. Um, not, I mean, there were a couple of them who were just ready to play animals, right? But a couple of the other players, especially the ones who get kind of like fiddly rules, rules lawyery when it comes to, um, like even just D&D, really wanted more information than that. Mm-hmm. So I I kind of said like okay here's the thing that we we still need to pretend like you don't know this in setting yeah. like I'm gonna give you this bit of meta knowledge you cannot use it because it won't like because your characters would not know any of this right um but it's working so far we we've we, we've only had a couple of like abbreviated sessions so far uh, but we have uh, this coming weekend I guess in two days from when this drops. Uh, our, our our first longer session, um, so yeah, we will see what happens and how we how everything gels and goes together, uh, because I do have one player who's very obsessed with why, <laughs> and sometimes the answer is you don't know or I don't know, like right. I don't know, it's just the way it works. Um, so yeah, I think when something's really lore heavy, you just like drop it in piecemeal. My like in in vampire games, that's why it's very helpful to be like a newer vampire. Yeah, so you don't have to know everything about vampire politics. Yeah, uh, I think it's it is always very much an incentive. It's appealing. It's a temptation for new players to or glom on to absolutely everything to do with the setting. Right. Uh, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, I blame live action role play, and hell, I mean, I blame live action role play for most things in the world. I mean, but, that's 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 fair. But <laughs> but it, especially in the way of vampire, the idea of attending court and every single vampire is there, every single clan is represented. You can get to meet absolutely everyone. All of that. It works in a first-person live-action environment because you're chatting with these people, you're developing, um, you know, attachments, emotional bonds, whatever, uh, and impressions. But at the tabletop, things do need to be delivered more slowly to avoid information overload, which is ultimately all descriptive. Most of it's going to be descriptive because the storyteller probably isn't going to feel inclined to do 20 different voices with 20 different personalities in the first session, although some do to their detriment, I would say. Right. it's i know i've uh, i mentioned this before but i think this sort of octopath traveler method of you have a small area uh, that you can explore at your character's current level essentially there's lots of interesting npcs and quests you can pursue in it now that doesn't mean that the higher level areas aren't open to you they are but you need to know that if you step off the map here be dragons etc you will start encountering things that in vampire terms won't care about you you know they will have the great old one mentality of you are a petty little thing that i will swat off my territory or just crush into dust and a miserable pile of secrets yeah yeah and this is i think the kind of message that should be communicated to get that uh punching upward feel mm-hmm. from your players in vampire it lets them know that there's a hierarchy it's an almost impenetrable hierarchy 
and that you don't have to access it all at once. In fact, you're incapable of accessing it all at once uh, due to your power level. So work at a local level, control your block, interact with the vampires who happen to to step into it, and mostly get to know vampires of your own clan, probably your sire or any kind of blood siblings you might have. Mm -hmm. And then once you've done something worthy of the honour, you might get invited to court. And that's when you might meet the prince, and you might meet your clan's primogen, and you may meet another couple of representatives from outside your clan. Mm -hmm. But again, that's it. It doesn't always need to be the annual gala where every single kindred in the domain attends. Um, And I know that's just sort of viewing it all from an Anarch or Camarilla perspective. But, yeah, when you try dumping everything on someone's head for vampire at once it can work Im- amazingly well that's probably how i got into it i love the depth of law in mm-hmm. vampire but i think for an awful lot of people especially people who don't gravitate toward vampire naturally they're just there to play a game and they're told next week we'll be playing vampire it's not really worth the risk, in my view, to say, oh, and here's the Giovanni, and here's all their bloodlines. These are Cappadocians. Oh, don't worry, they were wiped out 500 years ago, but some of them are still alive. <laughs> it's... Uh, th- there's... Awkward. <laughs> yeah, there's not really any benefit other than basically teasing mysteries over players, which, yeah, for some, that's going to be an incentive, like for your Pugmire players, mm-hmm. Dixie. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of others, it's going to make them feel like, whoa, okay, I think I'll just go back to playing a game without any of this. Uh. Yeah. I mean, like, when, when we did Chicago by Night a couple years ago, when my, my group played it, um, I definitely benefited from having edited the book. <laughs> because I do not have a head that will keep lore inside of it. Um, but luckily I, I had read the book and I had seen the book several times. So I was kind of like, okay, like I, I, I get these characters for the most part. Um, I definitely knew more about them than the other players at the table, obviously. And by the table, I mean the discord. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> metaphorical but, table, right? Yeah, exactly. But then like the, the biggest difference to me between a role-playing game with deep lore and a video game with a lot of lore, right? Is that like in a video game, half the time it populates like a reference manual for you as you go through the world so in a big open world game like a skyrim or heck i've I've been playing a lot of genshin impact recently um it'll you know populate a journal with like things you need to know based on your travels so far Mm, so if i forget the lore of something i can go back and i can reread the quest description or i can read the journal entry or whatever Whereas mm-hmm. if I don't take really good notes in like a and d game or a Scarlands game, I'm going to be like, who was that again? What was that? Hmm? Yeah. Where were we? Yeah. Why are we here? Uh, because I, 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 especially if you're playing a game like every couple weeks or so, which is what a lot of my groups do. It's like, I, I'm not going to remember everything that happened two weeks ago. That's just not no, how I, I am. I, I constantly take notes during my games for exactly that purpose. Uh, because I don't remember anything, and and you and that most of my games are once a month, which is even less frequent. So yeah, I feel yeah like exactly. You take notes, and I'm I, I'm bad at taking notes because I with 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 the whole ADHD brain, I find that either I take notes or I am invested. Yeah, <laughs> sure, right. And I am not good at doing both. I, I I often hope that somebody else at the table is is interested in taking notes, 
um because that will help me it's mm-hmm. it's also why most of my vampire characters i would just take eidetic memory and be like no i i definitely remember that just tell me what you said again well i know something that i'm <laughs> doing in my own games is i will do a uh recap like i usually structure like a television show and say previously on and then do kind of a recap of what happened last session to refresh everyone's memory um uh, and that's another way you can do things like um, one thing I don't think we really talked about too much is kind of like you're saying, Dixie, where is uh, you do kind of almost a, a hot link version of setting material where it's like uh, you're playing a vampire game and suddenly you run someone's like, I'm so and so, I'm with the Anarchs. And you pause, say, for your characters would know that the Anarchs are blah, 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 blah. Yeah, blah, exactly. Blah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do that when I'm running games too. I also, partially because it makes it more collaborative, but partially because I'm lazy. I like putting the onus on the player sometimes. Be sure. like, you know, who wants something that happened last time? Oh, you right. do? Yeah. Here's oh, an inspiration or a fortune or whatever. Every session. Yep. Oh, yeah, I do absolutely. that every single session. I mean, I have to. Um, another, <laughs> I another remember tr- nothing. <laughs> another trick that I have used in the past um, for the getting people started on the road is... You, Especially if it's a popular game, I'll say go read the Wikipedia entry for it. And that usually gives mm-hmm. you a pretty concise view of the lore. And mm-hmm. then from there, they can ask questions and I can direct them towards passages in the book and whatnot. Yeah. Okay, That's so. 10 minutes on one question. I yes. Like 20 we have Excellent. Uh, okay, two-hour episode. Here we come. This, this, is, this, is, this is how it's going to go. I can tell. I feel it already. Uh, next question is from the letter J. Uh, so, so like not, just the concept of the letter J. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, um, it, it is is the platonic ideal of the letter J. Okay, okay, okay. I, I, for, before we find out what the letter J has to ask, right? Um, picture in your mind it's about Pugmire. <laughs> picture in your mind a color. Oh, okay. All right. What color. color is the letter J? Purple. Ooh, Dixie. Mm, yellow. Oh, see, I was leaning orange. Okay, I, let's carry I, on. I was thinking like goldish yellow, so maybe maybe mm. orange. And purple is a, a complementary color to orange. Royal. <laughs> good job, good job. Good effort. I appreciate it. It is though. Um uh, how no color theory, leave me alone. <laughs> no, it is. You're absolutely right. I just <laughs> That was a weird question, Matthew. Um, how compatible is Realms of Pugmire with previous Pugmire material? Will I still be able to use earlier Pugmire published adventures with the Realms of Pugmire rules? Uh, and we've talked about it before on the podcast, uh, but just to reiterate, there is going to be a uh, conversion document that allows you to convert first edition material to second material. So yes, you'll be able to use your earlier published material with Problems Pugmire. Next question is from Lisa, and I have to read this in the intended inflection. Okay. <clears throat> Onyx Path, your crowdfunding campaign seemed to have the momentum of a runaway freight train. Why are you so popular? Uh, good question. <laughs> Some backers respond to our integrity. Others are more impressed with our incorruptibility. Still others, by our determination to lower shipping rates, and the bureaucrats in the state capital can put that in their pipes and smoke it. <laughs> this, is, this is a Simpsons reference for those who don't know. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, for those of you who don't know, this is a, this is a Simpsons reference. And... It's a classic Simpsons episode. Classic. Yes. Uh, Norris McWerther asks, I barely keep one game group together for a monthly session. How does Matthew manage nine? I think the answer is money. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I have found a way. I'm a member of this syndicate. I have found a way to exchange (laughs) money for time. I literally buy myself time with money. Um, That could be cool. 
Yeah, yeah. So, how do I manage to keep nine games going? Well, I guess it's double-ended. How do I manage it myself? Uh, I schedule, and I accept that it's going to take up a lot of my evenings, especially weekend evenings. Uh, You may have been able to calculate already that there are often fewer than nine uh, (laughs) weekend evenings in a month, so sometimes weekday evenings as well. Um, but yeah, it's really the trick is all down to scheduling, uh, for me, uh, I'm, I'm a fairly organized person when it comes to that kind of thing. And if I want to do something else with one of my evenings, I usually let players know, okay, here's the, when the games are going to run or here are the potential dates. These are the dates I'm not available. So I don't sort of lock myself out or lock myself in to my house, I should say, but lock myself out from doing other fun things if I want to do other fun things. Uh, in terms of players, that they tend to be the bigger obstacle for a lot of GMs. It's, you know, getting all the players at, into the game at the same time, you know, working with their schedules. It's a lot harder to manage four or five people in a group than it is yourself. And part of the reason, part of the solution, indeed, is, as Eddie said, it's money. Uh, I think when people are paying for something, they have more investment in it, quite right. tangibly so. And that compels them to be available. Now, for some people, that doesn't work. Some people find, okay, well, this isn't going to work with my schedule at all, and they cancel their patronage, and I'm sad about that. But at the same time, I can't sort of uh, wake up at 2am to run a game. I never would. Uh, So the players have to work with me and I have to work Mm -hmm. with the players. And it tends to be if there is a player that absolutely cannot make, let's say, Sunday evenings, but for some reason can make Tuesday evenings, that's fine. I've got a game running on one Tuesday evening a month. You can play in that one instead, as long as it's the game you want to play. So... Uh, the only other part of the question, I suppose, is how to actually have nine separate plots running simultaneously <laughs> and, I guess, keep them creative, captivating, keep the players engaged and so on. Uh, part of it's luck. The players I have are blessedly uh, in... Well, they want it, want the games to be good. They play characters they're interested in. And so they, again, bring a certain amount of investment themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also have the benefit of writing games for a living, which means I the, the two sort of the hobby and the job uh, go hand in hand. Uh, the running games inspires me for writing and writing games inspires me for running games. Uh, so it's never really down to a lack of ideas that I can't run a game. The The only game that I have ever had to terminate uh, on my Discord in the last two or three years I've been running these games is Vampire, because I got to a point where I had been running Vampire on and off for around 20 years for different groups. Right. Uh, because I've been so into it for so long and I just reached a point at the end of last year where I just had to say, you know what, I am done with running Vampire the Masquerade. I've told all the stories I think I'm going to want to tell for a very long time and uh, let's play something else. And thankfully, all the players said, yeah. And so we started playing something else. So as long as you approach your games as a GM 
with a desire to run them. Don't set yourself up with a game you don't want to run. I've had quite a few calls, for instance, to run Cyberpunk Red. Nothing against the game at all, but the system for me is not a system I particularly enjoy running, and in fact is a system I feel would make me resent running it. Uh, again, it's not a dreadful system, it's just not, not a system I am comfortable with. And so I said mm. to the players, I'm not interested in running Cyberpunk, I think I'd bring more stress to it than enthusiasm, let's choose something else. So we chose something else. Sure. And so yeah, as long as the GM is interested, as long as the players are interested, that's... It sounds very simple, but that is all you really need. Another thing to keep in mind is uh, there's a little bit of apples and oranges happening in this question um, because uh, usually the default game group is a group of your friends, right? It's people you know, mm -hmm. you want to get together and play a game with, which means the schedule has to align for this group of friends to also align. Yes. In your dynamic, if one person can't fit into the scheduling slot you have, there will be another person you can put into that slot because it's not about mm -hmm. these people have a pre-existing relationship. It's just, do they have the time that you have available to run a game for them? Yeah, for the most part, yes. There are some groups now that have become so attached to each other as players oh, sure, sure. that they will probably want to stick together in future games too. But yeah, but that, that comes, the that comes part, afterwards. Right. That, 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 yeah. That's a result of not the, the reason to make the game. Yeah, yeah, I haven't had that, that many people sign up as couples. I've only had a few um, where... And I've got one group that signed up as a group, mm -hmm. uh, specifically because they wanted run someone to run Call of Cthulhu for them, and for whatever reason they thought I would be the best person to do that. Hey, you know, hey, <laughs> I didn't, yeah, haven't hey. turned them away. Mm. Um, so, so, yeah, it, it is, again, a lot of it does come down to the money question, which I know a lot of people find unpalatable uh, but i do think that where friend groups and i run a weekly gaming group for my friends uh have a much more relaxed attitude they're just happy to spend time in each other's company right. uh, my friends and i yep. uh, and if we play a game as well that's a perk mm -hmm. but it yep. isn't the reason for getting together but yeah if you're regularly scheduling paid games people tend to turn up because they've damn well paid and they want right. to be entertained exactly uh so next question comes from king k rule um and it starts off dixie what is the most creatively rewarding book you've worked on I don't answer questions from evil crocodile kings uh, <laughs> who have wow. harassed wow. my my Speciest. main girl Dixie Kong. Uh, uh, do you think this is why King K Rule submitted the question? I actually don't know, but if 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 this person going by this this alias, or if it is the actual King K Rule, I don't know. Um, <laughs> doesn't know. I've always been very close to the Donkey Kong Country video games because they were the first ever thing where I got to play a character that had my name. Um, and that's still uh, pretty much the only thing I've gotten to play that had a character that had my name. <laughs> uh, so I, I still have a very fond place for those of my heart. I love Dixie Kong. She's great. Uh, that said, I think the creatively rewarding is a weird thing to try to define, you know? Yeah. Cause like it was creatively rewarding to work on, uh, everything on some level depending on what it was like they all meant different things to me uh 
anima was incredibly rewarding because I was taking this world that our, our, our friend Dominic had written and just kind of shaping it and molding it and, you know, giving it a little bit of different life. Um, and that was super fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I'm obviously very close to Pugmire and, and Monarchies of Mao and all of the other Pugmire adjacent things. So working on those books has been incredibly rewarding. Um, working on Children of the Blood, the, the vampire supplements I did was really cool simply because like I had never gotten to write vampire and I've been a fan since 99, you know? Um, so there's all kinds of things that I would consider creatively rewarding. I'm, I'm going mostly off of writing assignments right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally don't find editing super creatively rewarding, although I do find it satisfying. Sure. But it's not creative. I'm actually kind of doing the opposite of being creative. I am making the language adhere to rules. <laughs> I suspect it's more the satisfaction of like solving a puzzle. Kind of yeah, way. I mean, it's, it's, it's that. It's the satisfaction of putting the finishing touches on something, of going, mm-hmm. ah, it's done now, um, of solving a crossword puzzle, you know, like whatever you want to call it. It's craftsmanship it's- rather than creativity. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say that. So as far as creatively rewarding, I, I am going to stick with most of my writing stuff. Um, I think the most fun I've had writing anything was uh, the Beyond the Grave stuff that I wrote. Yes. Um, simply because you really get to give yourself permission to just be a little silly. And then a little more silly. And like, I, I have gone back and read stuff that I wrote for that, you know, three, four years ago or whatever, and laughed at it. And the fact that I can go back and look at something that I wrote three years ago and find it funny is really cool for me because that's not me being like, you know, self-important. I think it's actually really rare to go back and read the thing that you wrote and go, oh, that was really good. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. But for both that and I would honestly say also for the demigod stuff that I wrote, I've gone back and looked at it and gone, huh, all right, cool. (laughs) <laughs> uh, working on the anima jump starts was weird because I would find a reference to something in game and be like, did I write that? And I'd go look at it and go, oh, I did. But the difference between that and some of the other assignments is that anima was 30,000 words, while a lot of these other ones that I'm talking about were more like 10,000. Right. Um, so I, 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 I have more trouble remembering what all I wrote in anima because it was so many words. So many yeah. words. But yeah, I mean, I think that every project is creatively satisfying in its own way or rewarding in its own way. Definitely the ones that you can go back to and be even a little bit impressed by, I think, are very cool. Like, oh, I did write that. That's cool. Or every now and then I'll, I'll like, see somebody compliment it on the Discord or something. Like, oh, I really love, you know, X antagonist. And I'm like, hey, I wrote yeah. this. Thanks. Awesome. That's always nice. Uh, so, yeah, like, that's, 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 that's really what it comes down to here is just be, being able to be super proud of something and, like, Anytime that it gets brought up or revisited, I get to still feel a little proud about it. Yeah. There's there's a, there are some things that I've written or worked on that just don't get brought up usually. And that's fine. You know, like I, I understand people aren't, you know, having really long conversations about the monarchies of now adventure collection <laughs> from right. five years ago. Right. Uh, am I proud of it? Sure. Am I the most proud of it or is it the most rewarding? No, but it was cool. And I like doing it. So, okay. yeah. I mean, like, if, if you're anything like me, uh, the answer is also some form of whatever you're working on now, <laughs> right? Right. And I'm, I'm not doing anything, like, super creative as far as writing right now. No, um, I but... am doing a lot of digital art. <laughs> so that's creatively rewarding right now. Yeah, so I've been learning, learning how to do digital artwork because I finally have a tablet that works for me. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know, 
I, I, I hold my pencil weird. I rest my hand on the paper while I'm drawing, which means oh, that I can't God. use most tablets because the my my hand will trigger the like you know pressure stuff, right. um, and will trigger the like touch sensitivity. I found out though that you can set an iPad to only detect the Apple Pencil, and so I have now acquired an iPad and an Apple Pencil, and I'm able to do digital art for the first time ever without you know messing up my canvas every three seconds because my hand touched it that's so awesome. that is currently what i'm doing that's rewarding it's completely different from writing uh but i'm enjoying it and i can do it while i watch tv at night it's fun awesome uh next question is from professor james m uh and uh is unsurprisingly directed to me uh is does eddie have any game white whales he's not worked on like just games you have to murder so you can yeah, sleep well at night <laughs> which seems harsh i don't think it's uh, it seems aggressive no, no, i've seen a lot of your work Eddie. it is like you're murdering the book you're contributing wow to. wow <laughs> i mean it's, well, it's, no, it's, it's, no it's been a good run are. this podcast is over we're done <laughs> you are the poison oh in my this gosh. Book. um <laughs> i do feel like the the pseudonym being used here is is, is leading towards a certain direction i'm actually not going to go in i actually <laughs> probably don't want to work on a sherlock holmes game uh i've had a few opportunities to work on sherlock holmes games uh mostly video games and i find that's okay uh but i've had several people like going hey when are you going to do a sherlock holmes role-playing game it's like i don't know if i ever will mm -hmm. uh if if there's a project someone else is doing and i get hired on for it that's different but i don't think i would ever create one mm -hmm. um and until a year or so ago, the answer would have been Transformers. But then I got to work on the Transformers tabletop role-playing game. Right, so, exactly. Uh, uh, I, I'm down to Matthew's least favorite game, Cyberpunk Gred. is the only thing that I haven't got. My least favorite? Oh, yeah. Let, let our friends at Artelsorian know I hate their game. <laughs> I will. I'll tweet at them right now. <laughs> Wait, so does that Matthew mean that... game is crap. So, so I've actually worked on a thing that you would like to work on. Yes, you have. You worked that's on cool. the core rulebook. Yep. Yeah, I did. Um... Yeah, no, that's, I'm so jealous. That's... <laughs> um, it was and, and fun. Then re recently, I found out that uh, Chris Bivey's also now worked on Cyberpunk Grid, so now I'm mad at him too. So. I mean, I will say that I have decided that because I edited some of the Johnny Silverhand fiction, that means that I am like one degree of work away from Keanu Reeves. So, mm. sure, obviously. I mean, that, that's um, imagine that works, if right? he read it for an audio book. I mean, he played it in the video game. Oh, I know, but your work. Imagine he well, read it. Oh, my yeah. work. I just proofed it. Whatever. Well, I mean, it would hardly look like it does if it weren't for your proofing. <laughs> um, I do want to say, as an aside, Matthew, mm -hmm. if you enjoy the, the Cyberpunk Red setting, but the system is a bit not your thing, uh, my boyfriend has been looking at running Cyberpunk Red as a setting and like mash with the video game, obviously, yeah. uh, but using cities without number. Oh, it's a okay. much rules lighter setting. So I was system. looking. At using Neon City Overdrive. I, I also have been looking mm -hmm. at Neon City Overdrive just for other reasons, not the surface mm -hmm. Uh But yes, good suggestion. And of course, I have no doubt you we could slot cyberpunky stuff into Anima too. It's true. Uh, the system, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you don't have to use the setting for Anima, but you can certainly oh, no. use the system for it. Uh, Honestly, I mean, uh, you may want to make a couple of tweaks to StoryPath mm -hmm. just because um, StoryPath is a little more. Um, I guess, uh, protagonist forward, which means that you'll succeed a little more often than you would in Cyberpunk, mm -hmm. which is a game that's about 
scraping together in desperate times. Yeah. Uh, so you might mm-hmm. want to adjust the rules a little bit or adjust expectations either way. Um, but otherwise, yes, anime would work really well for a Star Among game. I mean, didn't we just have a whole podcast about dialing the tone up and down for various we things? We did. Like, well, well go, y'all did. Go, I don't think I did. Go, go listen to that and then run it however you want. <laughs> uh, the next question is from The Riddler, and it is a riddle. I, I cosplay as The Riddler, so... Oh, there you go. So right you probably don't know the answer. No, I just, I've got pictures. Oh, okay. Uh, you live in a one-story house made entirely of redwood. What color would the stairs be? I have two answers for this. Okay. One is it's one-story house, there's no stairs. Obvious right. riddle. Come on. Obvious, right. yeah. Well, Second, yeah. Secondly, though, growing up for the first, you know, 17 years of my life, I lived in a one-story house that had stairs that led up to the front porch. There were three of them. Ah, so uh, well, like... see, see, Batman. That is how you. Oh, sorry, Batgirl. Uh, this is how, or Batwoman. I don't care really. Batgirl is, how... is my favorite. So this is how you Batgirl would vex uh, the Riddler. You would, you would come back with that. Obviously, he's expecting you to say uh, there are no stairs. At which point, he would pull a lever and you would slide down some stairs. Right. But, <laughs> but you could say. In you're, Wayne you're... Manor, giving away your identity, <laughs> we have <laughs> we have stairs going down from the front porch, and technically, it's a one-story mansion. I don't think it is a one-story mansion, but uh, <laughs> pretty sure it's a multi-story mansion based on every movie that I've seen. After Bane leveled the second story up, it was a one-story mansion. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I I've I've been watching um actually recently the mm. uh, nerd game show. Yep. And my favorite thing that happens on that is when they ask a question and somebody's like, I know what answer you're going for, but also your question is flawed. <laughs> and here's why. Because <laughs> um, I, I just watched the episode on musical theater and I agreed with most of the points that they made. I was like, I was like, yeah, that, that question is stupid. If you actually know the musical, what are you talking about? <laughs> it was fun. Um, related though, uh, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever uh scout around uh, the Webtoon website, which is the infinite scrolling webcomic. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, but they have a licensed comic there called Batman Wayne Family Adventures. Ooh. And it is delightful because basically it is all of the stuff that happens with the extended Bat family outside of Adventures. So it's That's like... That's fine. It's, it's, it's like um, uh, trying to get Damien to wash the dishes... <laughs> because he refused to do so. Or uh, Bruce trying to figure out how ice skating works because he never learned because he never had time growing up. I recently um, started playing Gotham Knights as well, uh, off and on. Uh, mostly because it's a game that lets me play as Batgirl and I want to encourage them to make more of this. Right. Because, uh, you know, I got those little moments in Arkham where I got to be like Catwoman and I was like, that's cool. But I think in this game, you pretty much can play the whole game as whichever character you want. They all have different skill sets, but they're all viable characters. And it's all of the non-Batman Bat families. Um, So there is a lot of like downtime scenes, kind of like in Marvel's Midnight Suns, where there's like a a downtime scene where you like talk to each other and talk about clues and things like that. Oh, cool. Um, And I actually really enjoy the aspect of the game. I I understand people don't like it. That's fine. It's it's not like my favorite game I've played, but I am having a good time with it overall. And I'm looking forward to unraveling some of the mysteries um and playing as barbara gordon is just fun you know yeah i've seen some people over like going it was not as good as the the arkham games and it's okay. like okay so comparing it to some of the best games made in the past decade is not exactly fair also according to a lot of things i read it's not actually supposed to be in the arkham continuity either right no right. Uh, it is its yeah. own thing 
It's like when people talk about Bloodlines 2 and they, um, you know, they, they compare it to some other game by some other studio and this one's an FPS. And they're saying, <laughs> well, your models in Bloodlines 2 don't look like anything in this, so your game's going to suck. Uh, I remember when Swan Song came out. I was at the, um, at the party and mm-hmm. there were people there um, from various magazines doing interviews saying, uh, so the game doesn't look like a modern AAA uh, release to which Nacon the studio they were there basically said well we're not this isn't a triple A game. <laughs> right. You know it's a, it's mm-hmm. a, it's supposed to be a slow burn mystery a narrative mystery game. Uh, and that that isn't the answer they want or rather it's called sort of talking across purposes. Mm-hmm. I, I like that in in the world of Batman or the DC universe, in the world of darkness, and all these different game universes, you can have games of different genre that tell different stories and don't have to look or work in an identical fashion. Because right. God, yeah. that would be dull. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like there's multiple Marvel games that all have different things going for them, and there's you know multiple Batman games all have different things going for them, and I'm I'm down with that. Like yeah. I, I find that fun. I, I, I have not played it through yet, but I have Swan Song, and I'm excited about it because it looks like my kind of thing. Because I played uh, the other one from that studio that's similar. Oh, uh, the Order. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um. So yeah, like I am, I'm looking forward to actually like sitting down and playing that at some point. I've just been more in the mood for action games recently, so I have not played it yet, but I do have it. Well, that's like um, my favorite criticism of uh, the great Ace Attorney game, which is the 19th century prequel Ace Attorney game, uh, was that the characters were a bit stiff and there wasn't much action. And I'm like, (laughs) I had two two immediate reactions like Dixie's. Like the first reaction, the obvious reaction is, well, obviously it's a murder mystery game, you dumbass. Mm -hmm. But then the second reaction was, actually, you can play Ace Attorney kicking ass. That is Marvel vs. Capcom. Go play that game instead. Right, exactly. Or two games that, and this is quite an interesting thing for me. So Disco Elysium, and it's uh, which I know we've all there played we now, all had a <laughs> oh, all had a go game. at. I love it so uh, much. When in its initial builds had an action system, so you could shoot at things, punch mm-hmm. things, right. and so on. I'm and so it, glad they took that out. Oh yeah, 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 me too. But it makes me look at another game. Eddie is a big fan of Planescape Torment. Uh, <laughs> which uh, I still think it is like a progenitor for Disco Elysium in a lot. Oh, of absolutely, ways. no, completely. Um, where it does have an action system that is utterly ham-fisted. It's the most awkward part of the game because the game it does not uh, is not benefited at all by having an action mechanic, except it's D and D, so you kind of need one. Right, it it, it's like the Dungeon Dragons, so we need to have a fight here now. Uh, at least that like. was the mentality in the 90s when it was released. It would be yeah. interesting to me now, now that video games have got a little more experimental, uh, if you wanted to release a narrative uh, Dungeons & Dragons game set in the plains, I'm sure someone may have already done it, where there is literally no action. There's no, okay, now I have to click on this enemy and I have to use magic missiles and so on. Make it entirely story-based, like a Telltale game, you know, Um, Mm. before all that happened. Uh, But, yeah, Planescape would have worked exactly as well as Disco Elysium does without the sort of clumsily swinging a scalpel at your enemies. But there we go. (laughs) Right. So to recap, uh, this 
simple the rule has led us to red. yeah <laughs> there would be no stairs right or or they'd um, be red or brown or whatever color i'll say redwood is just like a kind of wood you can paint it whatever you want so they can well i think i assume that is part of the conundrum it's supposed to throw you off there isn't it right flawed um, riddle one out of ten uh okay everyone to uh, i've got a question for you okay. who is your favorite riddler I just watched a couple episodes of the 60s Batman, and I had forgotten how delightfully ham the rhythm that is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Frank Gorshan, isn't it? Thank you. I, I, I love Frank Gorshan's Riddler. Uh, because yeah. he's so, like, swinging for the bleachers for it and clearly having a good time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that that would have been the answer I went for. Uh, there's something about his, as I say, it's like his manic laughter. He sort of, put, sort of puts his tongue between his teeth as he sort of goes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's. I've never seen anyone able to replicate that level of riddlerness. Mm -hmm. uh, and well, then again, I don't know that many people who've tried. Yeah. I do a follow up answer, but I want to see what Dixie says first. It's so hard because I feel like the Riddler gets portrayed really differently in a lot of different things. Um, yes, it's true. Which, which makes it difficult to look at it. Uh, if I wanted to be really strange, I would say that uh, Robert England voiced a really good Riddler. Um, really? What? Uh, in The Batman from 05. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea that was him. Huh. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's an interesting one. That's uh, the one with the uh, dreadlocked uh, Joker, right? I think so. It's the yeah. one where the Riddler has like the like long black hair and he's like real skinny and weird. Yeah. Um, okay. And mostly he hates the other characters that aren't Batman, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, Conan O'Brien voiced him in the Lego Batman movie. That was kind which of is fun. Funny. <laughs> uh, I didn't dislike the like I I don't dislike either Jim Carrey or Paul Dano, the two like live action ones we've gotten in movies. Yeah. No, I really liked Paul Dano's Riddler. I mean, yeah, it was suitably It was a creepy. really different take on it, which I thought mm -hmm. was kind of fun. More akin to the Arkham video games, right. in a way, but with more character, I would say. I, I also uh, I also have a soft spot for uh, the original animated series Riddler, mm -hmm. uh, just because um, it, it's like the opposite, right? He's so kind of almost deadpan. Mm -hmm. And so the the jokes... Uh, the, the the jokes take on the aspect of more intellectual puzzle than uh, taunting Batman. Uh, yeah. And so, like, but you're right, Dixie. The Riddler is portrayed so differently across media. It's almost like we're talking about completely different characters at this point. Yeah. Yeah. He's also uh, like, I always think of all the like just actors I like who do do things because he's, he's also been voiced by Brent Spiner and Weird Al at various points. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, like there's. Obviously, with most of the iconic Batman, you know, villains, there's a million portrayals of them. Because mm. I know a lot of people will look at, like, the Joker and will be like, oh, Heath Ledger, but oh, Mark Hamill, you know, and it's really hard to, like, choose sometimes. Um, because they are so different. Right. I also do like the Arkham video game version. No, I'm looking well, up because uh, I'm just see Because I know we, uh, Weird Al has done a bunch of voice acting stuff. Um, and I'm just trying to remember, like, because I, for me, the first time I realized where I was a voice actor was he plays Rekgar in Transformers Animated, which was 2007. Of course. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he is a canonical My Little Pony character. Uh, uh, yeah, he, he's apparently in Gravity Falls. Mm -hmm. um, he plays Darkseid in T-Titans <laughs> Go, which is amazing. 
Well, if I if you, I any of either of you were to put the Riddler in one of our role playing games, which do you think he would Aberrant? fit in best? Aberrant. You think Aberrant? <laughs> uh, you would would you give him some kind of Nova like power? I feel like he would be a good villain actually in most of the prior Trinity games. Like I th- I think he'd be a fun like Trinity adventure villain. Like take him back to like the nineteen thirties yeah. and make yeah, him like true, a weird true. trickster guy. Mm, that, that, that could be kind of fun. I can also see him in Abra. I can see him as kind of like a the boys style talent of someone who has no powers but hunts down novas. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I see. Obviously, my mind goes to beyond the grave. I think he would have almost a saw like death house. Right. With, right. Uh, with oh, riddles. that could be fun. Have like mm. a like yeah, like a, a, a very more you know more horror take on him. Yeah, the house that Jack built or something like that. You like know. a like an H. H. Holmes murder castle kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, with lots of nursery rhymes and riddles that you've got to. I mean, through. really, Saw Two is kind of that. Like, it is. Most yeah. of Saw Two is just weird riddles that they're bad at solving. <laughs> Some of them are uh, deliberately obtuse. <laughs> true, true. I mean, that's that. I forgot which other Saw movie it was. It's like the, it's got to be like six or seven. It's one of the later ones where like if they all work together, they could all survive, but they all suck at that. Yeah, well, it's that second one, and it's the one where they end up cutting their arms off or whatever yeah. it is by the end. I think that's four, maybe. I don't remember memory. once 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 you get past like three. I don't know the plot. It's just any a big them. pile of intestines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I can remember scenes and traps from all of them, but I can't remember like exactly what they are for all of yeah. them. I feel like. One of our watch throughs, you, you, you're both are going to make me watch a Saw movie. I think this is going to happen. I yeah, mean, we'll bring Rich along for it because uh, we know how much he loves horror. I don't, I don't know that I would make anybody watch a Saw movie. No. <laughs> like, I, I enjoy them quite a bit, but I understand if, why people wouldn't. No, it's not that I, not that I don't like them. I just never watched them. Oh, oh. any of them? No. Not oh, interesting. I actually, like... Uh, I think they got unfairly lumped in with Torture Porn because they came out around when Hostel did. Yes. And certainly they are gory, but they have way better plot and motivations and things going on in the background than like Hostel right. does. Because I was talking with someone a, a while ago about Alice in Borderland. I was like, I kind of dig Alice in Borderland. And it's like, oh, you would like Saw. So. Right. And, and that's what it says. Like, it's obviously because you watch Saw. And I'm like, I've never seen Saw. I'm like, why, why would you not want it? And it's the same thing. It's, it's the horror puzzle genre, I guess. Honestly, like going like I, I, I went through the the Sawniverse, as I call it, uh, with my boyfriend last year, two years ago. I don't know. Time has no meaning. Um, but he, he, he only seen like part of the first one. And I was like, cool, we're going to watch all of them. And le- leading up to when Jigsaw comes out. Um, mm-hmm. And so we we did and he was actually kind of impressed with a lot of like the the, the, the twists and things that happen in it yeah. now you have to realize that once you get past the second movie the timeline is weird right. and some of the movies are happening concurrently to other movies and some of them are happening as prequels and they don't really tell you until the end of a lot of them uh, um okay. so that is just something that you have to kind of deal with Right. Is like you'll like get to the end of a movie and you'll be like, wait, that's the guy from the last movie, and it'll be like, oh, this was happening at the same time as the last movie. Okay, these. Well, were, I'm like, eh. I'm also doing a watch through of Twin Peaks right now, so I'm getting very used to time just kind of existing concurrently. And yeah, go go from Twin Peaks straight into Saw. Where's Twin Peaks streaming, Eddie? Um, here. Uh, yeah, uh, it's on Paramount Plus, except for Firewalk with Me. Apparently, it's not anywhere. Hmm. Okay. Which is interesting. Uh, anyway, but, yeah. yes, Paramount Plus is where it's at now. 
Uh, next question was the one we've uh, alluded to last episode, so we finally got into it this episode. Probably the last one because we're almost out of time. Uh, it's from Zach Rules. How is your day going? It's all right. How's your day going? Yeah, not not bad, not bad. Spoken a lot about the Riddler and uh, and Saw movies and Neil Breen. <laughs> so yeah. I, I like right. the Riddler. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Neil Breen playing the Riddler in a Saw movie. No, that would weirdly, ruin I can actually picture that. No, Why can't soft. you solve my riddle? Why can't you solve it? <laughs> Why do you wear the cape and cowl? <laughs> I can't. I can't. What so happened bad. to your parents? <laughs> not the coffee. Not the coffee. <laughs> I, I, my day's going fine. <laughs> will Will you solve my riddle? Can you solve my riddle? <laughs> that was disturbingly good impression, Matthew. Yeah, I never do really it again. Weird. I don't like it. Um, yeah, I'm not a fan. I my day's going fine, much much like last time I asked this question. I pretty much you know woke up, got some coffee, and rolled into the podcast recording because we're in different time zones. So I am right. looking forward to lunch, just like I was last week, because it is almost lunchtime. Um, yeah, actually, uh, it has uh, it briefly snowed here in London. Uh, Darby still does not like snow. I have discovered so that that's good to learn. Oh, Darby girl. So Darby doesn't like rain. She doesn't like being rained on, which of course makes this move a fantastically good idea. I mean, who, who does like being rained on? Also, you can get her a cute little doggy raincoat. She doesn't like raincoats either. So well, is, is I, I, fine, Darby. Indie band <laughs> exactly. doesn't like it. You understand my concern. But see, Darby has realized that snow is rain that lies. Because mm. like, it doesn't look like rain. It doesn't feel like rain until it lands on her and then she realizes it's wet and then she's mad. Mm. Oh, yeah, I can see that. So well, let's see if we can answer another two questions rapidly, shall we? Oh, okay. We've okay. got so many more to go. Uh, well, we got two more, and then we can pause and uh, get to the last ones here. So, okay. Um, uh, Chris Jones, a couple more questions. Uh, one is describe your perfect Sunday. See, this is going to take forever. Um, uh, let's see. Well, obviously, it would be on a three day weekend, so the next day would not be Monday. Because right. uh, otherwise, Sunday's just, you know, creeping closer to having to go back to work. So you're planning some heavy boozing. No, I'm just planning to not have to wake up early in the morning. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. That's all. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> uh, gosh. I think it, as as with most days, it would depend on what kind of mood I'm in. Like, my perfect Sunday could be, you know, snuggling under a blanket and watching movies all day. But it could also be going into the city to, you know, do a cool event. Uh, it'll probably involve good food because yeah. good food always makes a good day better. Yep. Um, and ideally it will involve other people for me because I like, you know, hanging out with friends. So I don't really have any specifics aside from good food, good company. The weather would be nice, but not like super hot or super mm -hmm. cold. Would be like 65 and sunny outside. Like jacket weather? Jacket weather is really like where I live, like where I would prefer to live. If I could just wear mm. like a light cardigan all the time, I'd be yeah. very happy. Um, that's part of why I enjoyed living in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, like I, I definitely, uh, would, would have that, that, that sort of thing going on. How about you, Matthew? And, yeah. Uh, well, obviously I'd start the day early by going for a jog before heading to church and then following my, uh, <laughs> what is happening right now? <laughs> following my visit to church, I would serve soup to the poor and... <laughs> 
afterwards, maybe some time in solitary meditation where I can contemplate the week that's gone before and the week to come. I would be returning home late but refreshed. I would say hello to my wife and son for the first time all that day, and then I'd go to bed early so that for Monday morning and the work day to come, I would feel, well, a year younger than when I started. My God, you're boring. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, uh, you know, uh, it would be a combination probably of play some games, uh, obviously spend time with my family, read some books, uh, or read a book, uh, ideally run a game if I, if there's role playing involved, eat a nice meal, uh, a hot meal. And if I could fit it in, uh, I would uh, spend an hour at the gym because you know me. But <laughs> fitness freak that I am. But no, seriously, I find it's uh, it is quite good to 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 go to the gym, stretch a little. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, uh, it's some kind of combination of all that. And that's pretty close to mine too, honestly. Um, uh, yeah, uh, do, do some gaming, do some reading, uh, hang out with my family, hang out with my friends, go for a walk. Because uh, I, I have, over the pandemic, I have grown to really appreciate having a morning walk. And of course, Darby also really loves walking in this weather when it's not raining. So we're getting a lot of walking in, that's pretty damn sure. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm old, I'm not exciting. I don't need to go out and get drunk or anything weird like that. No, I've, I don't think I've ever really sought to get drunk on a Sunday. Unless I was, you know, just to be honest, I don't think I've ever sought to get drunk. I, mean, it's good, um, I suppose. <laughs> I can always um, stop. Anyway, uh, Chris, Chris Jones is one, one last question. Uh, what is your favorite type of book to develop? Core book, uh, jumpstart, players' guides, etc. Hmm, that's actually, that's uh, a really good question. Actually. I feel like I'm going to take the cop out answer here, and I'm, I'm just going to say it for for me personally. Uh -huh. yes. uh, keep in mind that I've, I've only really developed one core, and it was Essence, so that's like a very special project for me. Mm. But I think my favorite type of book to develop is is fiction. <laughs> It's novellas and, and, and mm -hmm. short stories because I would like, I love our games. I love playing games, I love everything about what we do. But from an editor and redliner and reader standpoint, sitting down to just read like a 40,000 word novella is so relaxing compared mm -hmm. to editing anything with mechanics. Yep. Um, I recently edited a, a forthcoming Exalted novella that was so good. Like, I. Half the time I, I I finish one of these and I immediately like message the author on Discord and I'm like I need a sequel. You set it up for a sequel, please write another mm -hmm. one. Um, because I love a lot of our writers. I like I I love our fiction writers writing. Um, I loved working on and I I, I didn't develop this, but I, I edited it the Pugmire anthology for instance. Because just reading a bunch of short stories about Pugmire was fun, and then Joshua Deesh made me cry, and I still will yeah. never forgive him for that. Yep, um, bastard. But that's that's really what I like. I love it, and I actually really love that it is the tie-in fiction for games. Weirdly, I know a lot of people don't go out of their way to read it. I wish they would, um, especially. Mm -hmm. God, the Exalted novellas are so good. Um, <laughs> but like, it it gives me such a better sense of narrative for those games, um, and it gives me ideas for running and playing adventures and for characters that I wouldn't have without it. I like seeing a purely narrative story set in one of those worlds. And then I can see how you can use the mechanics to make that story happen. Um, but that is that that makes more sense for me personally. 
in in the way that my brain works than trying to just read the mechanics and form a story around them. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Matthew? Well, I am, it, I'm split. I, I love developing core books because I love seeing fresh ideas uh, that are completely uncontaminated by other games. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's one of the best exercises for writers, and it can be a real test of a writer's ability and their creative ability, uh, as well as my own. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of just pure enjoyment, I tend to find bestiaries, antagonist books, which I've not developed many of, all told. I've uh, done some for They Came From with uh, Monsters from the Deep and Monsters from the Crypt. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did Shun by the Moon for Werewolf the Forsaken, which I'm still very, very fond of, I think. That is one of my favorite books to have ever worked. It is on. really good. It has a lot of really excellent body horror and other weird villains in it. I love it. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it sort of scratches the same itch in that players, ha- not players, readers, and <clears throat> I'm getting the words wrong, writers, that's the fuckers, they have a certain amount of freedom uh, to come up with interesting antagonists, but it also encourages collaboration at the early stage, and I think collaboration is essential to me enjoying a project um, where you don't want uh, antagonists being duplicated. You don't want the same kind of uh, villain popping up over and over again. And I have worked on at least one bestiary where that did happen due to a lack of collaboration. And it got to a very late point before someone started noticing, hang on, we've already got this kind of weirdo in the book. Now we've got them four times. So, yeah, uh, for different reasons, core books and bestiaries for me. Uh, so, I mean, for me... I agree with a lot of what you said about core books. Uh, I think they're they're very satisfying to make because you're right. Having some, building something from scratch and helping a team pull that together is exciting, particularly uh, when you try to cram two of them together, like Anima. That was particularly satisfying mm. and challenging. Mm-hmm, uh, definitely. I also really enjoyed developing the Tasty Bits, honestly, because um, uh, they're fast. So, I mean, like I don't have a lot of time to really dither around and worry about them but also because they're so small uh there isn't really an outline so uh basically mm-hmm. i go to the writer and say uh here's what i need to do figure it out uh and it gives them uh, a surprising amount of of creativity and so like with the uh taste bits right now which are all going to be like short adventure or scenario bits with a map uh i basically told them it's like going it's a short adventure scenario bit with a map here's the map write something cool with that and each one has been a slightly different take on that brief uh one was like here's a scenario with four starting points one is here's two kind of mini adventures one is uh uh, here's just a bunch of random things that can happen in this area uh and so it's really neat to see taking the exact same brief and getting very different responses than taking that text and massaging it and making something compelling and interesting out of it uh uh it's a different challenge than planning an all the front because you have to with bigger books. You have to plan all the front. You can't really do that kind of organic. Let's see what happens. Uh, yeah. But four thousand words, I could do that. It's like going worst case scenario. I could say do it all again, and it's another week of work at, at most. You know. Yeah, low word mm-hmm. count compels action, direction, mm-hmm. uh, and a certain amount of punchy creativity from the writer on a tasty bit. If I mean, I always go over word count when I write tasty bits, which may be why I'm not working on them right now. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Eddie? Fired you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, when you're told, okay, you've got 2,000 words, 
come up with as much good content as you can to fit into 2,000 words that relates to this subject matter, you end up often getting very workable material. Mm -hmm. And it's usually pretty creative because you've got to be creative. You can't yeah, get over away. when you give someone 15,000 words. If, mm -hmm. Unless you're very tight with the direction on those 15,000 words, they mm -hmm. can be very baggy words. Uh, okay, so then uh, I think we'll stop there. We have a nice another chunk of questions, so we have we can make a nice trilogy of mailbag questions. So that'll be Ooh. nice. Ooh, I I kind of like they're doing this big like two fifty celebration as like a three episode arc. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so the next one will be our Hobbit three. I was about to say, and this is going to be uh, <laughs> Dixie's episode. So so was yeah, this when the desolation of smog? So, yes. <laughs> yes. So the desolation imagine me crawling around on the it. ground. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and that means, as it's the third one, Dixie, you need to introduce a fourth host who no one has ever heard of. But if they had okay. the cut parts of the second episode, they would know. Oh, oh, I did want to address something from the last episode that I almost forgot to address. Okay. Um, one of the questions last week was who would play us in a movie about the Pathcast? Yes. And I threw around some kind of basic, like, you know, Aubrey Plaza, I guess, like other kind of... But, like, I, I couldn't think of anyone that really had my energy specifically. Uh -huh. And then I realized, Ashley Birch. Uh, oh. If you've seen Mythic Quest, yeah, yeah, she's really anxious and bubbly and excitable and very me. Uh, she's the voice of Tiny Tina uh, in the Borderlands games. Oh, okay. Uh, she's also prematurely very gray, which I am. Mm. And we are of a similar age. So I pick Ashley Birch to play me in anything. I think that she has the perfect energy for it. I like her a lot. I saw someone suggested on Discord that Jude Law should play me. And I find that very complimentary. I was going to say, um, did, did you feel really good about yourself? Because I would. Yeah, yeah I, I'm not going to dispute that. I'll let Jude Law play me. Uh, <laughs> I will he, allow it. <laughs> give it his best shot. I will be there judging. I'm actually going through because I don't remember what they said uh, recommended for me. Because uh, there was a, a lot of discussion about the gray hair stuff. Carl <laughs> <laughs> Malden. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, just... <laughs> oh Matt, Matthew Reese. No, it was Matthew Reese. Oh, there you go. That probably. I, 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 I lost it because someone spelled my name wrong, and that's why I didn't see it initially. Damn them. Yep. Damn. How dare! All right, cool. Well, then, uh, if people wanted to talk to you about stuff, I have no clever segue. Dixie, where do they find you online? Uh, I find you pretty much anywhere at Dixie Cyanide. That's where I am on the uh, Discord. Well, I think it's Dixie Cochran in our main thing, but you know, I'm all over the place. I'm pretty easy to find. Me in the podcast channel if you really want to talk. Matthew? MatthewDawkins.com, Twitter at DawkinsMP, Discord Matthew Dawkins. You can find me at uh, PugSteady.com. It's P U G S T A D Y. It's also uh, where you find me on Twitter. And like we said, we all find all of us on the Onyx Path Discord, particularly in the Onyx Pathcast channel, where uh, right now we're talking about people with prematurely gray hair. Uh, so, <laughs> Another um, gaming related subject. <laughs> right. Uh, if you were desperately hoping to have your question answered in this episode and it hasn't yet, we'll get to it. As I said, we're going to do a trilogy of these episodes now. And uh, after that, we'll have to go back to figuring out our own topics. So we'll just maybe we'll stretch study a little longer. Again. Yeah, we'll yeah. Keep, keep doing this. 10 episodes of Mailbag. But I mean, thanks, <laughs> thanks for sticking with us for 250 episodes. Yeah. I know that yeah. everybody listens to every single one. That's fine. A lot of folks bounce around. I have to, because you make me. Not really, just because I'm, right. I'm the editor. Uh, yeah. I was just going to say, like, that's, that's a good point. Like, I mean, not a lot of podcasts last this long, right? <laughs> I mean, this is a pretty huge accomplishment, both in episodes and in time. I mean, we podcast through an entire pandemic. Um, uh, Rich 
very nicely posted uh, uh, the picture of the three of us that was done five years ago, and none of us look like that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure we even looked like it then. Right. Um, I have moved (laughs) five times since then. Oh my god. Uh, uh, Yeah, because like I I, I moved back from Ireland when we started this, and Mm. it's oh yeah. So it's been a lot. I've moved a lot since then. Um, so yeah, a lot has happened. There's been a lot of water under the bridge, but, uh, you know, Hey, c- congrats to, to both of you for sticking with us for 250 episodes and hopefully we'll do at least two more. Yeah. Sunk cost fallacy, if you yeah. ask me, but uh... right. I don't want to do 250 more because I just, even the thought of doing 250 more is like, Oh my God, I'll be dead by then. <laughs> I hope not. A few years It'll of content. Jeez. Pugmire 20th know. anniversary edition by that point. Listeners can place bets on which one is going to expire first. <laughs> yes. Don't do that. That would be uh, morbid. Well, if you're not placing bets, but you are sticking with us, thank you all for listening. And as always, many worlds. Bye.